Hallelujah. Yeah. It's another day for turn up. Hallelujah. I just want to encourage all this evening. Pastor, I've been teaching us about the word in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the weapons of our warfare. So, and I want to encourage you with this word. That word says, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And uh, you can sing the song with me. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Oh, 
what the enemy meant for my shame. What the enemy meant for my shame. Wow. Praise God. Glory be to God. Amen. Thank you so much for that, Brother Diola. And welcome everyone this evening to this edition of the tune-up. It is my prayer, my desire that God will meet you at your point of need. It will quicken you. It will refresh you. It will have you on your way to the glory of his name. Blessed be the name of the Lord God forever and ever and ever. Amen. Again, welcome. And I thank you so much for sparing the time to spend your 
uh, evening with us. And uh, so I want to encourage you, get ready, open your Bibles. Uh, we're going to be going through the book of Nehemiah, chapter 6, in a minute. But in the meantime, give your friend a link, uh, a ring, and let your family, friends, and all those in your uh, uh, your uh, oikos, uh, your circle, let them know that something's happening so that they also can be tuned up to the glory of God in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Praise God. So let's just dive into the word now. I'm going to go to the book of Nehemiah chapter 6. Nehemiah chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 2 and 3. Nehemiah 6 verses 2 and 3. And it's, it says that Sambalat and Geshem sent to me saying, come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of honor. But they thought to do me harm. So I sent messengers to them saying, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. While, why? Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? So tonight I'm going to use the title, Recognizing the Great Work. Our defense, recognizing the great work. The defense against the onslaught of enemy. The defense against the attacks of the enemy. The defense against all that the enemy will throw at you is recognizing the great work. Now, we have seen from our previous studies that Satan can use the flesh in any of two ways to attack us. Firstly, through luring us out into a state of compromise, offering us something to compromise us, to distract us, to take our eyes off of the ball. Secondly, through making us fearful of what others will think of us. So now, I want us to take a look closely as to what the believer's answer is to those two issues. So going back to Nehemiah chapter 6 in verse 3, when they invited Nehemiah to go to the village of the plain of honor as a distraction to take him off of the focus of what he was doing. This was his response. And that's where we're taking our lesson from this, uh, on this, this evening. Here's how he responded. I'm doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? So Nehemiah did not say, I'm doing a good job. Okay, he did not say I'm doing a good job. He says I'm doing a great, a great work. So he, Nehemiah, recognized that what he was doing was a great work. So the question tonight is, what makes something a great work? Is it how big the thing is? Is the greatness of the work because of the size? Or the magnitude of that work? Or is it how much money goes into it? Now, as a pastor, in our fellowship with other pastors, and you know, pastors have small talk. Uh, we talk, we jest, we 
you know, say things, you know, you know, oh, how many people you have in your congregation? How large, how, what's, what's the size of your building? Uh, how much, uh, what's your budget? Those benchmarks. How many people do you have? How big is your congregation? How big is your building? And how large is your, um, it's your budget. And usually that kind of talk is intended to impress one another as to the magnitude or as to the uh, greatness of the ministry or the church or the work that we're engaged in. But I want to submit to us tonight that the ingredients for a great work has nothing to do with the size of it or how much money is involved in it. There are two main ingredients that make a work great. Two. Number one, how long will it last? <laughs> how long will it last? Is it going to be a flitting? Is it going to work that's just flitting? It's here for a moment and it's gone tomorrow? Can you just imagine now, as I'm speaking to you, I can name names of men and women that the body of Christ have put on a platform, on a pedestal. Oh my gosh, every major conference, every major seminar, every major meeting, these guys were on it. In fact, they've made deposits to the body of Christ of certain things, certain, maybe, maybe certain revelation knowledge that they came up with. I don't want to mention any names, but I, I, I just, I'm just thinking of big, big, big names. They come for a season, three, four, five years, and you don't hear from them again. They're gone. They're still alive, but no longer relevant. No longer relevant. Okay? So the number one thing that makes it what great is how long will it last? Now, let me just dive into that now. As Christians, our defense against the call of the world is to recognize the great work that we are called to. The work we do is the work that we do that is great lasts for eternity. Through our testimony and life, people can be snatched from the fire. That's what Jude says in verse 21 through 23. Let me read it. Jude 21, 23. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's where it starts. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by flesh. The only time that worldliness can start to take a grip on our lives is when we have lost sight of why we're here and the fact that we are only visiting this planet. Let me take us to some scriptures from Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, I'm going to read them. In verses 8 through 10, verse 13, verse 16, verses 24 through 26, and verse 35. Hebrews 11, first verses 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he will receive as an inheritance. 
And he went out not knowing where he was going. Oh, my goodness. If that was you and I that is simply called to live, maybe you live in the United States, maybe you live in England, maybe you live in Nigeria, maybe you live in Canada, maybe you live in Ghana, maybe you live in Australia. You have a good life. Everything is working for you. And the call comes and say, pack your bags. I want to send you to X, Y, Z or X, Y, Z. How quick, are we, how quick are we to make that adjustment and obey that? Okay? I'm going to, I just leave that question out there. By faith, he dwelt in a land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob. They hears with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In other words, Abraham was so laser-focused. He knew he was a pilgrim. He knew he was just passing through. And his entire focus was the city whose maker and builder is God. <laughs> he lived his life in such a way that he was not, he realized that his life where he was in that moment was not permanent. That's not the permanent place that he was on a journey. He was passing through. And therefore, Everything he did factored into the consideration of the fact that he was just a sojourner. Amen? Verse 13, Hebrews 11, 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. In other words, they lived a missional life. They lived light. They didn't have any attachments to where they were. They understood that, hey, listen, I'm here today, but I could be gone away from here tomorrow. Very, 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 very critical. Okay? Verse 16, Hebrews 11, 16. But now, they desire a better. That is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Okay? Verse 24. 24 through 26. This is Moses now. Hebrews 11, 24, 26. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater mm, than the treasures in Egypt. Why? For he looked for a reward. I mean, come on. Moses had the opportunity to live the best of lives, to live in the palace of the most famous, the most powerful king on the earth at that time. Folks, you know, we read these things in the scriptures, but I, I'm not sure that we really allow it to sink in. How many of us will have the opportunity to live the kind of life that was that that was that, that was uh, uh, offered to Moses? But the Bible says he chose. He made a deliberate, intentional choice. A choice he knew would cost him. He chose to suffer affliction. 
with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pressures of sin for a season. Why? He saw something. And I'm praying tonight that you and I will catch a glimpse, a revelation of the same things that Abraham saw, that Moses saw, so that we can be focused on a missional lifestyle. Amen? So, Moses, no, no, no verse 35, Hebrew 11, 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Why? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Amen. Listen, let, let, let me just dive into it. Let, let, let's dive into the practical points of living a life that will that we understand uh, considers eternity. The life that considers eternity. There are two reasons. Two reasons that make any work great. Two reasons that make any work. Number one, considering eternity. In other words, you are living with eternity on your mind. Say it a different way. Living with heaven on your mind. It will keep you from falling to the allurement of the worldly things all around us. Let's, do, let's look at some very practical things. Number one, approach each day as if it was your first and your last day. <laughs> approach every day as if it's your first and your last day. Living with thanksgiving, with wonder of who God is, the joy of the Lord, and a sense of purpose and urgency. As if this is the last day. If you knew this was your last day, how would you order your day? Would you spend your day, your time on Facebook, TikTok, Instagram? Is that what would you spend your last day doing if you knew that for sure this is the last day? Now, those things are not bad. And I'm not denouncing those things. Please get me. These are tools that God has given us. I'll get it. I'll understand it. I get that. So I'm not talking against social media, but I'm just saying we need to be careful not to allow social media to overtake us and take us in. Number two, make love your aim. Mm, 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 mm. Make love your aim. In Colossians 3.14, the Bible says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Put on love, which means me and you have the ability under God to deliberately make the choice to live and walk in love. Why? Why do we have that ability? Because, of course, the Bible tells us in Romans 5, 5, that God, by his spirit, he has placed love. In, the love of God, the Bible says, has been shed abroad in our heart. So love resides in you already. The issue is, are you going to turn it on or not? It's in you. So Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verse 14, we should put it on. In other, in other words, every day, you live in each day as if it was the first and last. And as you live that day, tell yourself, bank today, I am going to walk in love by the power of the Holy Spirit. I received the Spirit of God right now to enable me, to empower me, to walk in love. So you say, well, Pastor Bank, what, what does that look like? What does walking in love look like? Let me tell you, let me give you just one thing. Colossians 4, 6, the very next chapter, Colossians 4, verse 6. It says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Why don't you start there? 
Let your speech always, no matter who, who you are addressing, no matter who is addressing you, no matter the platform, no matter the circumstance, no matter the, uh, the, the situation, if you just make your mind up that you're going to allow your speech to always be seasoned or to always be with grace, seasoned with salt, what kind of influence or impact do you think that will have? Amen. So whoever comes to you, you see, because we don't, we, don't, we don't always understand what people are going through when they unload on us or when they say things against us. But if you just decide, you know what, I'm going to walk in love, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to make love my aim today. I wonder what happens. Imagine number one, I put you today, I, I said it was, it was the first and last. Number two, make love your aim. Number three, this is a biggie. Be awake to your task. Be awake to your task. That's what happened with Nehemiah. Let me read the scripture in Luke chapter 12, verse 37. Luke 12, 37. I have it here. Let me just read it. Uh, it says, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Oh, man. Be awake to your task. Or we can even say it this way. We can say, Blessed are those who are active in the task Jesus left to us. How about that? Blessed are those who are active in the task that Jesus left to us. What's that task? The Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. It's the Great Commission. That's the reason we are here. We're here. Listen, if, heaven, if just going to heaven is the only reason we get born again, then when we got born again, we should just go to heaven right away. But no, he left us here. Why? He has a mission. And he's inviting me and you to participate in that mission. We need to be awake to the task. Of the nations of the world, in Matthew 24, 14, Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom shall, shall be preached in all the world for, for a witness unto all nations. And then shall they, shall they income? That word nations in that verse is actually talking about people groups. People groups. As I'm speaking to you tonight, as I'm speaking right now, there are 7,413 groups of people or groups of languages that don't know Jesus. We are talking about 3.2 billion human beings that Jesus loves and died for. 3.2 billion. They don't know Jesus. <laughs> now, you know what's so fun about that? As I'm speaking, there are about 7 million Christian churches globally. 7 million! Meaning that there are approximately 1,000 congregations for every people group that does not know Jesus. Think about that. There are about 7,400 of groups of people that don't know Jesus. People groups. Language groups. But there are 7 million churches of which when you do the calculation, 1,000 church, 1,000 churches can come together and engage one of those people groups. It'd be all over. <laughs> It'd be all over. What I'm saying, my friends, is that the Great Commission is an achievable task in our lifetime. 
if the churches will come together in unity, praying, giving, going, and working together strategically. We all can be planted churches in Hawaii. No. Hawaii is great. Thank God for Hawaii. But there are places beyond Hawaii where the voice of God, the, the, where the name of Jesus has never been heard. Amen? So again, number one, live each day as if, as if it was the last. Number two, let your life on a daily basis be a life of love. Walk in love. Live love every day. And number three, be awake to your task. And number four, be confident of Jesus' return. Be confident of Jesus' return. You see, in Luke chapter 12, in verse 40, let me just read that again. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The servants who got in trouble in that parable of Luke chapter 12 were those who were unsure of Jesus' return or just forgot about it. Either they were not sure or they just totally forgot. You see, when we are sure that Jesus is coming back, we look at everything differently. Everything. Now, if you knew, if, if you could set an alarm and you knew that tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Jesus is coming, what would your life be like? <laughs> when we are sure that Jesus is coming back, we look at everything differently, including the way we view sacrifice. Okay? We can endure sacrifice on earth. Because life is temporary and eternity is forever. Let me say that one more time. We can endure sacrifices on the earth because life is temporary and eternity is forever. Now, one of my missionary heroes is the man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Judson wanted to marry a girl named Anne. Hasseltine, or Hasseltine. I may not be pronouncing that properly. Hasseltine. And so, before before I made a proposal to the girl, Adoniram Judson wrote the girl's father a letter. Let me read part of that letter to you. Let me read part of that letter to you. Say, I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to say her no more in this world whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Now, mind you, he's writing a letter to the, to the father of the woman he wants to marry. He goes on to say, can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, and for the sake of the God of glory, can you consent to all of this in the hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory, which a crown of righteousness brightened by the acclamations of praise which shall resound to her Savior from the lost who were saved through her means from eternal woe and despair. Wow. As a parent, if you receive this letter from a potential suitor, someone who wants to marry your child, 
how would you respond? Well, John Hasseltine, who's the father of the girl, said yes. Resounding yes. And so Anne and Adoniram got married and went as the first American missionaries to Asia, where every one of those terrible things that Adoniram predicted and many more came through. That's what happens when you have eyes focused, when you understand what is at stake. You see, faithful disciples ask themselves why Jesus gave them. Okay, so that's number. So that's number four. Now let me let me move to number five. Number five. Number five. Number five reason to define a work as great work. You have to be faithful to your charge. You have to be faithful to your charge. So Luke chapter twelve, in verses forty-five through forty-seven. Luke chapter twelve, verses forty-five through forty-seven. Let me read it. Yep. It says, But if that servant says in his heart, My master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him and at an hour when he's not aware and we cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. This is the most sobering of this parable to me. Most sobering. Because Jesus here describes the fate of those who neglect their master's return. Though they aren't overly evil people, these guys were not evil people, they're just negligent. 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 Okay? Just people who got distracted and failed to actively pursue their task. They are giving severe punishment for that. Now, in this United States. We live in a land of abundance. That is God's gift to us. But it is so easy to become so besotted or distracted with the benefits and pleasures that come from our wealth that we forget why God gave us the wealth to begin with. C.S. Lewis the famous, the famous uh, uh, church leader famously said, wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Wealth has a way of knitting a man's heart to this world. Or you can even say it like this. Wealth has a way of, 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 of tying a man's heart to this world. Okay? We forget that God gave us what he gave us, the wealth, for an eternal investment, not temporary pleasure. Mm. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, the Bible tells us that we, should never, that we must not forget that God gave us the power to have wealth. It is God that gives us the power to have wealth. Why? so that his covenant to the fathers will be established. So in other words, the purpose of wealth, the reason God gave us abundance, the reason our needs are met beyond measure, the reason we live in a land of, 
the brave and the free. The reason we have everything that we have, thank goodness. Yes, we live a good life. We live a comfortable life. But beyond that, God wants me and you to be mindful of making eternal investment. And when I'm talking about being faithful to your charge, I'm not just talking about money, although money is a big part of it, but it's not just money. How about the skills is given us? How about the talent is given us? How about the time is given us? Are we using our gifts, our talents, and our money to make eternal investments? Are we, are we intentionally making eternal investments that will yield great dividends in the future? All of this describe what a great work is. Lastly, on considering eternity, lastly, be confident, be confident of Jesus' return. No, no, I think I dealt with that. I dealt with that. I'm sorry. Lastly, 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 ask God daily for wisdom on how to make each day count for him and eternity. That's the only way we can get this done. Every day, Paul prayed the prayer for the Ephesian church in Ephesians chapter 1, that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that the efficient believer should come to have uh, a revelation, uh, wisdom and spiritual revelation, revelation knowledge in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Very, very important. So every day, make it a point. Jesus, God, my Father, I receive your wisdom for today. How to make this day count. I want to partner. I want to, I want to show up. I was preaching in a place a couple of weeks ago, and I ended the message by saying, suit up, show up, and go forth. And, and, and that's appropriate at this point. God, I'm suited up this morning. I've put on your love, which is the bond of perfection. I'm showing up wherever you want me to be, and I'm prepared to go forth. Suit up, show up, and go forth. Amen? So, going back to the Nehemiah chapter 6 again, number one, in how to make sure we are not distracted and we do not get drawn away by worldly allurement. Number one is consider eternity. Number two, the last point, number two, consider the king. Consider the king. The second ingredient for what makes a work great is quite obviously the person you are doing the work for. If you're working for your boss, then there's a certain level of importance, you know, for your employer. If you're working for your country, then you might put a bit more effort in it. So, okay, I represent the flag. I thank God for this nation. Yeah. But when you're working for the God, for the Lord God Almighty, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who has the power of life and death, you put some more effort into it. Amen. That work sort of takes priority over everything else. So how does this help us? These two points. Well, if you're gazing at eternity, it will help to fend off the lure of the world because surely the glory and the majesty of God, uh, because, the, you know, it, it, when, when, you, when you're gazing at eternity, 
that overtakes everything else. And of course, when you realize and you recognize that you're actually, whatever you do, you're doing it as unto the Lord, that you are, you are working for God, then that casts out every kind of fear of man completely. Because your reverence of God, or if I can use the word, your fear of God has totally overtaken the fear of man. Now, the fear of God, when I use the word the fear of God, I'm talking about your reverence, your honor, the fact that you're honoring God. And because you're honoring God, you're living intentionally. You're living a missional life. That will totally, completely set you free from the fear of man. Amen? So again tonight, the two key things that make a work great. Number one, you live in light of eternity. You consider eternity. And that is my prayer for you tonight. That you will not allow the pull of the world, the pull of our culture, today's culture, that you will not allow the pull of all of these things to take your eyes off of your mission, your life goal. Considering eternity. Jesus is coming back. Absolutely. He's coming back. Amen. And he has left you here for a purpose. To partner with him so that the kingdoms of this world can indeed become the kingdom of our Lord and our God. And secondly, when you always remember the fact of who you are working for, who you are living for, who has charged you to do what you are doing, then that remembrance and that recognition totally, completely takes over any fear of mine that you may have had before then. Amen? And so that concludes the teaching for tonight. And now if you have any questions or comments, I'll take them before we wrap it up. So I just pray that something that's said tonight will recalibrate your life, will bring a realignment to you, and will set you on your course so that having put your hands to the plow, you're not going to look back and therefore fulfill the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I thank you for every man and every woman tonight. I pray by the power of your spirit that you quicken us, you water the seed of your word, you help us to understand and consider eternity. The fact that you are coming back. Yes. And so Lord God in Jesus name. That we'll be empowered and quickened. To put our hands on the plow. Not looking back. So that the kingdoms of this world. Indeed can become the kingdom of our Lord and our God. We ask of you. That you give us the nations for our inheritance. The ends of the earth for our possession. You said that all the ends of the earth. Shall remember. And all the kingdoms of nations. Shall bow down before you. For the kingdom is the Lord, and you are the governor of the nations. That from the rising of the sun to the going on of the sin, your name shall be great among the nations. And that in every place, pure incense shall be offered unto you. Father, we pray tonight that you align our hearts with your purpose and your desire. And that we be engaged, that we are no longer a spectator, but we are a participator in the glorious end time harvest. In the name of Jesus. Thank you that we always keep our eyes Look it unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
the one who's charged us, the one who's equipped us, the one who's given us the ability and, in fact, the resources to live a life that will honor and glorify you. Help us, Father, to always be in remembrance of that. We honor you, we bless you now. In Jesus' name, amen.